Well, usually when we come to church, we talk about, we learn about building new relationships, reconciling broken ones. We talk a lot about unity and being united and being one in Christ. But we don't often talk about parting ways or about the breakup of relationships. Unity is a big part, huge part of Jesus' gospel. But sometimes we forget that by his very nature, Jesus brought, in some circumstances, division. Um, he came to show that he was Lord of all. And it basically pointed people that you've got to make a decision. You can no longer sit on the fence. Either Jesus is your Lord or he is not. And thus, there is inherently a division in that decision. In fact, he even said, Jesus said in Luke 12, 52, from now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. And so he was, he was warning people that his identity, even though he is full of love and he's calling humanity to unity, by the definition of him being Lord, there would be some who would accept him and some who would not. And disagreements and separations, unfortunately, are sometimes necessity, a necessity in our broken world. Friends fall out with one another sometimes. A family leaves a church. People quit a job. Even husbands and wives sometimes divorce. So, as I was thinking about this, I thought over the next four weeks, I want to study four passages from scripture where people or persons parted ways. What can we learn from that? I believe God will speak an important word to each of us and may help us just where we are if we have ears to hear. And so today the first story I want to look at is the story of Abram and Lot. And I'm just going to go ahead and apologize in advance. I'm giving a disclaimer here. I'm terrible with names and it's not it's speaking names and it's not necessarily that I don't know a person's name, but this, the, there will be a block and I, the name won't come to me. It even happens with my own children. And this is just proof that it has nothing to do with me knowing or not knowing. I will go down the list. If I want to say something to Abigail, I'll say, Gavin, Grace, grab Abigail. And then I'll start coming up with all kinds. I'm like, I'm speaking in tongues, not getting the right name out even though I know they're my children. And this person in the story is named Abram. But it's confusing because he started out being named by his mom and dad, Abram. But then later in life, God changed his name to Abraham. And so it's the same person. And whenever I speak of him, I, I just interchange the names without even thinking about it. And I know I'll probably do it today. So just know that as I'm speaking, if I say Abraham instead of Abram, it's the same person. And just uh, grant me that. But a little context. God called Abram to leave his homeland, leave his family, and to go to a new land. And because of this, and because of Abraham's See, because of Abram's faith in God, he has revered by three of the world's major world religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And they revere him because he trusted God so much 
God said, leave your homeland, leave your family and everything you know. And he didn't tell him where he was taking him. He said, just go to the land, I'll show you. Now that takes some faith to leave behind everything. But Abram did that. And along with Abram, his nephew, Lot, also came along on this journey. And so that brings us to the 13th chapter of Genesis. And we're going to start by reading verses 5 through 7. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. So I want to pause right here and just point out that Abram and Lot were living as nomads. Now they didn't start out life as nomads. These are what you might call city slickers. They lived in a great city of Ur, down in Mesopotamia. And this was a great ancient city that was famous for its wealth and prosperity and, 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 and all of the, the, the wonderful blessings that can come from living in a great city. And so it was really a big thing for Abram. It's not like he was leaving behind, you know, a dead city or leaving behind a bad life. He really was leaving behind a very prosperous situation to go live as a nomad. You know how nomads live, right? It says that they were wandering in the wilderness. Now, when I think of wilderness around here, I think of the forest, right? Lots of trees, but that's not necessarily what they were dealing with. Wilderness literally meant it was a wild place. They were not living in cities, not even towns or, or villages. Uh, they were out in no man's land. Nobody lived out there. And so they took their sheep and their cows and all of that, and they would move from place to place. They had everything that they owned, they took with them, and they lived in tents. And when the cows and the sheep ate up all of the grass, they would pack up everything they had and they would move to another location and then settle down for maybe a few more months until that. Now, now we don't, as far as I know, we don't have anybody that raises sheep in this congregation, but I, I know we've got some that raise cows or have been a part of that. Can you imagine taking all of your cows and, and, and all of the things that you need to live and moving from one place to another every five or six months um, and then having to do it again and again. Well, one thing it would make you do is make you really think about what do I really need, right? Because, you know, I've got 50 pairs of shoes in the closet, but do I really need 50 pairs of shoes? Maybe not if I have to carry it everywhere I go. So it, it helps you really simplify your life, but it's also a very hard way of living, right? And we know that too many people living together can cause problems, even in the best of situations, right? How many of you have had trouble living with teenagers in your home? This is just a simple, simple example, right? Because when the kids are little, they think their parents are awesome, and then they hit a certain age in their life when their parents stop being awesome and start being really stupid. Or at least they think they are. And it's because a lot of it has to do with the fact that teenagers are becoming more independent. They're learning to make their own decisions and maybe having a different view of things than their parents. But when they're under their parents' roof, 
They're under their parents' rules, right? And so eventually there's a lot of tension in that teenage household. But then eventually when they get out on their own and have a little more freedom, usually the relationships become much, much healthier and happier. And that's in a good situation. Can you imagine if all of these people were living together in tents out in the wilderness and they're having to get up and go stand in front of a campfire to warm up every morning and there's not necessarily a hot shower or fresh water and all of the luxuries of life. It's a challenge to live together. And politics is a word we usually associate with negative connotations. I hear people tell me all the time, I hate politics. I hate politics and I especially hate politics in the church. But politics is a word that simply means it's the art of making decisions as a group. And in order for us to live together in a group, you have to have politics. It's just, if you don't, you have chaos or you don't have a community. You just have division. So usually what we mean when we say we don't like politics is we don't like bad politics. But we do like being able to live together in harmony. We do like being able to compromise and make decisions and understanding that if we're all going to be together and as a big happy family, that I'm not always going to get what I want. I'm going to have to sometimes set aside what I want and let someone else get what they want. Or we're going to have to come to a compromise in the middle. People have to live together in groups. As the way God designed us, we are not meant to be by ourselves. We have to live together in groups to survive, which means we have to learn how do you negotiate when different people have different ideas and about what is best. Living together means learning to compromise. But if our core values or goals are so drastically different that we cannot compromise, what do we do? Well, one tragic solution that people have used throughout the millennia is war. When two groups of people have such differing you know, views, they will fight each other. And the side that wins gets to choose what the path forward will be. And that has sometimes often, way too often, been the, the course that people have chosen. And how many families have been torn apart? How many, how much suffering have we endured? How many lives have been lost? Because fighting was the way that people chose to find a path forward. Abram was a man of God. And he saw a better way to resolve the conflict with his nephew Lot. And we pick up the story in verses 8 and 9, Genesis 13. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land on the left, then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. And so this was Abram's solution. Rather than continuing to fight, Abram proposed a separation. Now, separation is not always easy. 
In Abram and Lot's situation, it meant that Abram and Lot, who were close relatives, who lived together all their lives, would no longer be living together in the same camp. They would be parting ways. And it would also affect everyone else in the camp because all of the shepherds and the extended family all were involved with each other. They were friends. They were relatives. They'd lived together for a long time. They'd been there with each other at the birth of a new child. They'd been there at the weddings. They'd been there when someone died and they supported each other. And now they had traveled all these many miles together, but they were going to be parting ways. And yes, they would still be close enough that they could visit from time to time, but it would not be the same as it had been before. So there, there were also friendships and they'd shared these good times together and all that would be coming to an end. But think about this too. There would also mean that there would be, there had been some long running disputes between those two groups, arguments that they'd had. And they would never be resolved. Nobody was going to be the final winner between those two groups. Separating meant that they would just let it go. Let it go. Maybe these two families have been arguing and you know how it is when you argue. Eventually you're going to get that other person to know that you're right and they're wrong. But in this case it meant they were just going to let it go. They were going to part ways. There also were probably some people in the group that said, we're thinking, you know, they're in Abraham's group and they're thinking, well, why, why does that side get to pick which way to go? Why do they get the choice of the land? Maybe they're thinking we ought to get to pick which way we want to go. Maybe I like that way better. Why does Lot and his group get to pick? But Abram is famous as a man of faith. He trusted in God. All throughout his life. And his solution. Was to put his faith in God. Abram always believed that God would take care of him. He could leave Ur. And go to a land that he knew nothing about. And trust that God would bless him. God promised that he would. And therefore, that freed Abram to be generous and to be gracious and to give Lot the pick of the land, knowing that God would take care of Abram and his household no matter what. And I'm sure Abram also loved his nephew Lot. Even though they'd had their disagreements, he was still family. And so Abram was gracious and he let Lot pick which way he would go. Abram trusted that God would work it all out. And then in verses 10 through 13, it says, Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to the place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. We see some 
really good life lessons in this story, I think. We've already seen how Abram's deep faith in God allowed him to be generous and offer Lot the first choice of where to live in the land. Abram's generosity was gracious. You can imagine that it also sparked goodwill between his clan and Lot's clan that helped preserve relationships, that fostered continual, continued cooperation between these two groups. Now that they were apart, perhaps they could be more happy with each other and more cooperative with each other, even as they were separate. But there's another life lesson too. As I think about the story, I think about how Lot chose the easy way. And I can understand why. He was not a, a rough and tumble country boy. He grew up in a city. And here he's been living in these tents out in the wilderness all these many years. He chose to settle near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you may know that Sodom and Gomorrah have come to represent decadence and sinfulness and immorality. But Sodom and Gomorrah were surrounded by rich, fertile land that was easy to live in. It was a land that led to prosperity for Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was that prosperity which led to their overindulgence and their decadence, and their pride, and thinking, well, we've got all that we need. What do we need God for? That eventually led to them rejecting God and rejecting God's ways, and ultimately it led to their destruction and downfall. The easy life, the path of easy, least resistance, where we simply gratify our immediate impulses and needs, where we avoid all hardships and just take the easy road, that way of living can make you soft. It can make you forget how much you need God. It can make you start to think, well, I've got it easy. I can just coast along and I don't have to push myself. I don't have to really work hard. I can just live off of my past accomplishments and all the fat of the land. And you begin to enjoy life so much that you forget that your blessings come from God and not your own hand. And so sometimes I think that it's helpful for us to learn in life that sometimes it's good to take the hard road. Take the hard way. Push yourself. Sometimes it's good to deny immediate gratification. Make yourself work a little bit. Simply, instead of simply gratifying your immediate impulses, work hard. Learn to, to really um, learn how to save money before you go out and buy something. You know, it's so easy just to say, well, if I want it and I want it now, I'll just use my credit card. I'll get a loan and I'll get what I need and then I'll pay for it later. That's a very easy thing to do. But then what does that lead to? You look around at the world that we live in today. How many people are overwhelmed with debt? Thousands and thousands of dollars of debt. Because they got what they wanted before they could pay for it. And sometimes it's good for us to learn to do it the hard way. 
Sometimes it's better than resting on our laurels and coasting off our past accomplishments is to just simply go out there and continue to push, continue to get better, continue to do more good in the future. And above all, learn to trust God to take care of you. Not because you are blessed with a lot, but because he can take care of you even if you only have a little. And I think it's good. It's a good life lesson for us to learn to live with less instead of always wanting more. Well, as we close, I'd like to invite you to close your eyes for just a minute. Spend some time in contemplation and prayer. Where do you see a fork in the road in your own life? Are you involved in some relationship or behavior that is not healthy for your soul? Is it time to part company with some of these things or some of these people? Is it time to let go of some, relation, some relationships that are pulling you away from God? And how might trusting God more help you to be generous and gracious, even as you say goodbye? How can you learn to trust God more in every situation? And not lean on your own understanding or depend on your own resources or to, to depend on the easy way of doing things. How could trusting God help you to be more generous and gracious, even with people with whom you disagree? Gracious Father, thank you for the story of Abram and Lot and the lessons that it offers to us. We pray that you would give us ears to hear in the situations that we find ourselves in right now. Speak to us, Lord, and help us to be your obedient servants.